You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our reading this afternoon, in connection with question and answer 56 of the Heidelberg Catechism, where we consider what we confess when we say, I believe, it, the forgiveness of sins. In connection with that, then we read from the book of Daniel, first of all, from Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9, prayer of confession, prayer of seeking God's forgiveness. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers, are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You fulfilled the words spoken against us and our, against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster upon us For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For the sake, oh, for your sake, O oh Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O oh God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city, 
and your people bear your name. Thus far our reading from Daniel. We turn to John chapter 20 beginning at verse 19. Read till verse 23. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 56. We continue in the section explaining the articles of the Christian faith, the Apostles' Creed, and we come this afternoon to the article about the forgiveness of sins. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, perhaps you heard through some means the story about that Nigerian cook who survived in a capsized tugboat submerged underwater for three days, waited there in the frigid waters that he was in for three days before he was rescued by divers. The boat capsized in the middle of the night, and according to God's providence, this man was happened to be going to the bathroom at that time, so he was awake, unlike most of the other people aboard, managed to scramble upwards as the ship was going down, find a small air pocket, and live there. Built himself something to sit on, half submerged in the water, the frigid waters, with a bottle of Coke in his hand, and nothing else. He said that while he was waiting there those three days, he reflected on verses of Scripture, verses that his wife had sent to him, That day, and he prayed fervently to God for help. And God sent the help. Amazingly. It's an amazing story. In fact, you can even go on the internet and you can watch the video of the diver who came and found this man. You see what is first, they they think, is a lifeless hand. And when the diver grabs hold of it, the hand squeezes him back. And... What follows is the dramatic rescue of this man. It's an amazing story. And we know what didn't happen, right, when that diver found that man. We didn't. We know that the man didn't say, okay, well, I'm glad you're here because I've been waiting here in these frigid waters for three days. I'm freezing cold, so could you go back to my room and get my coat? Because I need to put that on so I can stay warm. Sir, We're not going to get you a coat. We're going to get you out of here. You don't need to keep warm. You need to be rescued. Of course, the man wouldn't suggest that his problem was that he's cold 
And so therefore, he needs a coat. The nature of the problem that you're in determines the solution that you need. For that man, he was submerged underwater. And so he needed to be rescued out of there. He needed to be brought out, which he was brought up to surface so he could breathe, so he could live again. His family had already been informed that he had died, but yet he was still alive. We often get the problem wrong. We often get the problem wrong. The problem of our, of our lives. The ultimate problem. And we see that when we look at the solutions sometimes that we look for in this life. We come to the article about the forgiveness of sins this afternoon. And it comes with a challenge to us, doesn't it? In this day and age of, of many, many solutions to all sorts of problems, how much does the forgiveness of sins impact how you approach the problems in your life? How much does the forgiveness of sins impact how you act and, and what you do and what solutions you seek when you get into another fight with your spouse? Or with the difficulties that you're having relating with your teenage daughter? Or the anger? Or the despair? Or the desires that that you feel in your heart, that, that well up and, and, and overwhelm you at times? How do you deal with these things? You do deal with these things. You deal with them every day. And many others. Where does the forgiveness of sins fit in the solutions that you're seeking? We speak more broadly of, of our world and our culture at large, and we have to ask, how much does the forgiveness of sins impact anything we do at all? Not speaking then as a congregation, but as a culture. In our day and age, the people that, that we meet and talk to, how much does, does the forgiveness of sins mean anything to them? Even the ultimate purpose of their life. When they, when they would come before the throne of judgment of God, what's the answer that they're going to give? Many people have some kind of idea in their head what the answer that they're going to give is going to be. I've tried really hard at, at everything I did. I did my best. Hey, don't blame me for my troubles. Let's look at who my parents were. Look at the husband I had to live with all these years. Things could have been a lot worse. As far as I can tell, I've done all the right things. I haven't killed anyone. Nice to most people. I only get mad when somebody really ticks me off. What are you going to say? Do you know on what basis you stand? And do those around us know on what basis they stand? 
And how is that going to impact what we do here and now, both in our relationship with God and with other people? What the Word of God teaches from beginning to end in its central message and what we confess in this article of the Apostles' Creed and in this question and answer in Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism is that we stand before God on the basis of nothing other than the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. That's the basis before which we stand before God. That is the solution that God sovereignly and graciously has provided for us for the problem in which we find ourselves. The problem that we are sinful people. And so we'll consider the forgiveness of sins this afternoon and that we as church believe the forgiveness of sins. We'll consider, first of all, the need for forgiveness, our need for forgiveness. We'll consider, secondly, the character of forgiveness. So that's a little different than what's in your liturgy sheet. The character of forgiveness by considering our Savior. Thirdly, we'll consider the message of forgiveness, which is the message of the gospel. Message, the central message of God's word. And finally, we'll consider the place of forgiveness, which is the church. This, the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ is the home of forgiveness. So first of all, we'll consider our need for forgiveness. And you may be confused there because I put the need for forgiveness is our God. Our God. Does that make any sense? We need forgiveness because of our God. Don't we need forgiveness because of us? Don't we need forgiveness because of our sin? First we say that the problem is sin. And then we say that our need for forgiveness of God. Pastor, you might say, I think you've got things wrong here. You're confusing the solution with the problem. God's not the problem. We are. It's true that the fundamental problem, the root issue for everyone born onto this earth is their sin. And that they stand guilty and shamed before the living God. That is the fundamental problem. But we want to go a little deeper than that. And we want to consider what's the fundamental problem of sin? What makes sin sinful? What makes sin so bad? We need to understand this. We need to understand this as God's people because it it, it opens the way to the gospel. And because if we don't understand this, then we'll always get it wrong when considering our, our sin and considering God and considering God's law. Sin is lawlessness. As John writes in 1 John, sin is, is lawlessness. Sin, sin is breaking God's law. That's how we know what sin is. God has given us his law. His law teaches us what our sin is. But, but we want to go deeper. What is the character of sin? What makes sin sinful is not the law, but the one who has given us the law. The holy and righteous God. Sin 
is about relationship. Sin is about a break in relationship with God. That's what makes sin wrong. When you read Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9, you see that Daniel understands this. What makes sin sinful for Daniel is because that it is sin against God. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 4. Daniel prays to the Lord. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with all who love Him and obey His commands. We have sinned and done wrong. He addresses God in order to admit his sins. And in verse 8, he says, O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Against you. Our sin is sin against you. I don't have a problem with your law. I can't, I can't try to find any excuse. What we have done is we have rebelled against you, O Lord, righteous God. You can think of King David's well-known words in Psalm 51 as well. He's committed that sin with Bathsheba, that sin which led him to kill Uriah, her husband. And then he writes in Psalm 51, O Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, David, of course, is not trying to say, well, hey, I didn't do anything wrong to Bathsheba. I didn't do anything wrong to Uriah. No, not at all. But he's saying what makes what I've done so wrong is that I sinned against God, the almighty God of heaven and earth, my covenant God, the God who knows me, loves me, the God who gave me life. The God who redeems me. I've sinned against Him. That's what makes sin sinful. We have an almighty, not only an almighty, but a personal God. A covenant God. A relational God. A God who brings us into relationship with Himself. So sin is always relational. Sin is always about relationship. Sin is about rebellion against God. It's about rebelling against God Himself. You see this in the very first sin committed. Adam and Eve both disobeyed God's command, yes. But, but what was really at, at root there, that they had, they had rebelled against God. The God with whom they had communed and shared perfect fellowship. They had They rebelled against Him. They had broken the relationship, the harmony, the communion that they had with Him. Sin is relational. God's law, yes, teaches us our sin. But we need to always remember that it is God's law. It's God's law. And God has given us His law, His instructions, His commands for our good. He's done it out of concern for us. And so we receive his law with thanksgiving. But we need to remember 
that sin is more than mere rule breaking. Because that can lead to disastrous consequences, can it? If you, if you only think of, of sin in terms of, of doing what's right and wrong according to the law, yes, that's what shows us what's right or wrong, but what makes it bad is, is the relational part. But if we don't get beyond, if we don't understand sin as rebellion against God, then on the one hand, we can become dismissive of our sins. Yeah, well, you know, rules are made to be broken, right? Nobody can keep God's law. So, I can't, you can't, what are you going to judge me for, for breaking God's law? You don't break God's law? We all break God's law. You can become dismissive of sin. That's a disastrous consequence. On the other side, it can lead us to despair, can it? If we understand the character of God's law and how unbending it is, God's law never changes. God's law always says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and we always fail. You don't measure up. You always feel inadequate. And you're a failure all the time. Rules don't change. But sin is sinful, because it's sin against the powerful and loving Creator of the universe. When we consider the need for forgiveness, we have to remember that we need forgiveness because we've sinned against God, our Father in heaven, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. We've sinned against the triune God, but praised be His name because this powerful and loving God is also a forgiving God. And so we consider the character of forgiveness and we look to our Savior. If you look at Daniel's prayer, you see how Daniel realizes that Israel has sinned against God. Yet, where does he turn for help? It's actually striking in that prayer that as he says that they've sinned against God, yet in the very next line, he'll say, and so, O Lord, we turn to you, the forgiving God. To the very God before they stand guilty and ashamed. We see this in, in verse 18 of chapter 9. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Because of your great love. This is the God who has revealed himself in his word. This is the God who revealed himself to Adam and Eve immediately after they fell into sin. How did he reveal himself? As a gracious God. As a forgiving God. As a God who would send a Savior. And this is how he continued to reveal himself throughout Scripture. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is the character of our God. And so as God reveals himself as a forgiving God all over the pages of Scripture, so all over the pages of Scripture does he reveal the character of his, of his forgiveness. We see all kinds of images of his forgiveness, don't we? That God casts away our sins as far as east is from the west. 
that God hides our sins behind his back so that he cannot see them anymore. That God forgets all of our sins. Many pictures of of God's forgiveness that are given to us. That he washes us whiter than snow. But where we see forgiveness pictured most clearly is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We look to him to understand the character of our forgiveness. It's when we consider him who gave his life as a ransom for many that we see most clearly what forgiveness looks like. We see in the first place that it's a costly forgiveness. It's a costly forgiveness. There's no cheap forgiveness with God. Jesus Christ humbled himself, came to this earth, left his glory, entered the shame of being a servant, even a crucified one. He had to suffer every day that he lived on this earth. This is no cheap forgiveness that God has worked through Jesus Christ. God's forgiveness of our sins isn't some flippant wave of the hand. Sure, fine. I don't care about your sins. I don't want to be bothered with that. No. It's a costly forgiveness. He had to send his son to suffer. It's also a comprehensive forgiveness. It's costly. It's also comprehensive. Because Jesus Christ lived. He lived as a man. So that this forgiveness could be comprehensive. So that Jesus' perfect life His perfect obedience to God's law in perfect love of the Father means that when we are in Christ, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're not only washed of our sins, but we're also credited with Jesus' perfect life. His righteousness becomes ours. So when we see Jesus, we see that our forgiveness is comprehensive. We also see That it's complete. It's a complete forgiveness. He himself, just before he died on the cross, having paid the price for sin, having borne the burden of God's wrath against sin, said, It is finished. It is finished. And he breathed his last. He gave up his life. It's a complete forgiveness. There is no more punishment for sin. As the author of the Hebrews says. Because Jesus Christ has given his life as a sacrifice. And fourthly, it's a confident forgiveness. Or you might say it's a forgiveness in which we can find our confidence. Because he not only died on the cross, but he also rose from the grave. If Jesus Christ was a mere imposter who said, put your hope and trust in me, I will pay for your sins, and he had died on the cross and stayed in the grave, we would have no assurance of the forgiveness of our sins. But he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave victorious. He he rose from the grave declared innocent before all the world. He is the one who has paid the price. How can you be confident that your sins are forgiven? You can be confident because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How will you find confidence at the end of your life? 
How will you find confidence that a loved one who lives by faith in the Son of God will receive forgiveness or has forgiveness of sins? Why is it that Christians don't, don't get all that worked up about death? Yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. It's because the confidence that we have that Jesus Christ has done all for the forgiveness of our sins, including rising from the grave. And finally, it's a forgiveness that's communicated to us in the church because he ascended to the right hand of God and from there sends his spirit to bring the gospel to the world. The gospel which proclaims the forgiveness of sins. And so we come to a third point, the message of forgiveness, which is the gospel. Our problem is sin. Our solution is the gospel. And we've already, in fact, spelled out what the content of the gospel is. It's the suffering the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the message of salvation. That's the message of forgiveness of sins. Believe in that message. Believe in what Jesus Christ has done, and your sins will be forgiven. Washed away, whiter than snow, thrown away, forgotten, hidden. Remember no more. By he who judges the living and the dead. So we already know the content. What we're going to focus on briefly is is two other aspects. The first one is that this is a message. This gospel of forgiveness is a message. That's what gospel means. Good news. It's news. It's something that must be spoken. Something that must be declared. It must, it's something that must be passed on by word of mouth. It's a statement about what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, it must be spoken by the church as well. we'll come to that later. We deal with it now. We can live our lives as a witness to this world, can't we? We are to live as salt and as light in this world But we must also bring this message of forgiveness to the world. We are to proclaim it publicly. We are to share it privately. It's news. You can live a holy and righteous life beside someone next door. And certainly, that is a witness to the power of God. But that person next door doesn't just need to know that you live a righteous and godly life. They need to know the gospel. They need to know what Jesus Christ has done. And so as church, we need to bring that message to the world. And when we bring that message, it demands a response. That's the second part that we're going to focus on briefly here. The response, which is a response of repentance and faith. A response of repentance, of of recognizing that our problem is sin and grieving over that sin and feeling sadness because of that sin. Recognizing that we have sinned against God. That brings sadness, doesn't it? When you've offended someone you love or even more, when you've offended someone who loves you more than you love them, That makes you sad, doesn't it? As Christians, we we should be sad. should also be filled with joy. 
We should be sad. The Apostle Paul writes about godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. We recognize our sin. We have to experience that sadness of having offended our Father in heaven. And we must then turn from our sins. Repent and believe. Believe that for the sake of Christ's work, God will forget your sins and your sinful nature. And that the righteousness of Christ is graciously granted to you. This is the message that, for example, Peter on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had been sent by the ascended Lord, Peter preached the gospel. He preached the risen Christ. And he, at the end of his message, he said, Now, repent and believe. That was his message. It was the message in that, that first sermon of the New Testament church. And it continues to be the message today. Repent and believe. When those who heard Peter heard that message and believed, they were baptized. And they were received into the church of God. Because the church of God is the home of forgiveness. We come to our final point. The place of forgiveness, which is the church. The church of Jesus Christ is the place where forgiveness is found in this world. Of of course. Of course, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians 5, Christ gave up his life for the church. The church is where forgiveness is found. The church is where, where the love of Jesus Christ and his, his powerful saving work is concentrated in this world. Gave up his life for the church. And you can even notice in the Apostles' Creed that this, this article about the forgiveness of sins comes underneath the one about the Catholic Church. If you look on page 525, those articles of the Apostles' Creed are listed in Lord's Day 7. I believe a Catholic Christian church, the communion of saints, part of that church, the forgiveness of sins, part of that church, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So the forgiveness of sins is subsumed under our confession about the holy Catholic Christian church. Church is the home of forgiveness because it's the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's where forgiveness is proclaimed. We come to that again. The church is where the message of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins is declared, is proclaimed through Scripture, as it's proclaimed week by week by ministers of that gospel, by those sent to be heralds of that gospel. The church is also where forgiveness is signified and sealed in the sacraments, Those sacraments are a constant reminder to us of the centrality of forgiveness. It's the Lord's Supper. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember and proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. The waters of baptism signify and seal the washing away of sin, the powerful renewing work of the Holy Spirit. So the church is where forgiveness is proclaimed, where it's signified and sealed, also where forgiveness is, is dispersed. We read from John chapter 20, 23, where Jesus says, if anyone, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The Lord Jesus gave to his disciples, the apostles, and subsequently to the leaders of the church, the heavy task of watching over the lives of her members, of encouraging them in the faith and admonishing them 
when there's no repentance or faith. The Lord Jesus Christ has given the keys of the kingdom to the church. He's given the forgiveness of sins to the church. We practice that through the proclamation of the word and also through church discipline. A church discipline, of course, is an ongoing process that's happening all the time. It happens through our fellowship together. But at this moment, our church is dealing with discipline in a very public way, aren't we? Prayed about that this afternoon. But the goal in this, and we always need to remember that, the goal and the very reason why we, we bring our brother before you is so that he might repent, find forgiveness, and be restored in his relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is where forgiveness is dispersed. The church is also where forgiveness is reflected. As we have been forgiven, so we are to forgive. As Paul said to the Colossians, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so the entire atmosphere of the church is to be one of, of forgiveness and all that comes with that of humility and repentance, encouragement. And all of this rests on the fact that the church is where forgiveness is found. It's where forgiveness is found on this earth, in the church of Jesus Christ. Because we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the one who lived and died and rose again to rescue us from our sin. And we are the ones that He has declared righteous in the sight of God. And therefore, the church is where God is always praised. Because God is the one who has rescued us. He has saved us. He has forgiven us. And so we worship Him. From the problem of our sin, He has given us the solution in His Son, Jesus Christ. That Nigerian cook having been rescued, what would be the result for him? Would he ever question why he was rescued? Would he ever lay claim to that rescue for himself? Would he ever say, well, I I wasn't really that bad off after all. I probably could have figured it out myself. Of course not. Rather, he would have been humbled and grateful for his amazing rescue. And so it is for us, for the church. Through Christ, God has forgiven us our sins, washed us away, but washed them away. So that we are not condemned, but rather accepted, brought into his kingdom and glory. Where we, together with the church of all times and places, worship him forever. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.com dot org.